Hi everyone and welcome to Between Beans, the podcast where we're willing to talk about anything and everything as long as there's always a good cup of coffee involved. I'm your host, Austin, and today we're talking about vision and leadership, why it's important to have a vision in your organization, how to craft a vision, and finally, how to express that vision clearly to those within your organization. In this episode, I am joined by some incredible individuals, Luke, Ben, and Emerson. This was an awesome conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm sure you will too. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, what you think about leadership and vision, and how you're implementing this in your own life right now. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast. I am joined with uh, Ben. Hello. Luke. Hey. And Emerson. Hi. And we are going over vision and leadership uh, and the two different leadership approaches to vision. So namely the leader as sole visionary and the leader as vision team member. We're going to reflect on the strengths and weaknesses of each. And then we're going to uh, talk about practical implementation into uh, just our ministry specific areas. And uh, we're going to really reflect on our own personal gifting as well and what that looks like when casting vision. So uh, let's first just start with defining vision. Um, ben, you're all about this. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So I think when we're establishing vision, there's often a lot of things that come up. So um, like topics like establishing mission and strategy and purpose and value statements and goals are all like really closely connected to establishing a vision statement. So I think if we're going to discuss vision, we should also be looking at at least defining what those other things are. So I can start by sharing some of the stuff that I found. So a vision statement, um, I found it easier to understand them based on the questions that you're asking yourself in order to like arrive at a proper conclusion. So vision statement questions would look like, what are our hopes and our dreams? What problems are we solving for the greater good? And who and what are we inspiring to change? So there's more of that forward-looking... Um, you know, it's a hopes and dreams. It's not so much about where we are right now. It's more looking forward into the future. Right. Um, what did you guys find? Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, one, one big thing that stands out to me and just very practically is know the why, not the what. And that's kind of what vision is. It's like, why are you doing this? You know, not what are you going to do? Just why are you doing it? Um, I think that creates a clear vision statement. Do you think, or do you think it's more like, I think that there's also, vision is about what you want it to be in the future. But, or is it, really? You would say I, that? I think, I think so. I think, see, that that's why this is great, because I right. think that's where, you know, um, a mission statement, it focuses more on tomorrow. So, what do we do, whom do we serve, and mm -hmm. how do we serve them? Right. The purpose, I think, tries to answer the why. The purpose of... Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. But in order but though, to establish isn't vision. Your, isn't your vision defined by your values, your purpose, yes. your mission, all of that? Right. Yes. So, but when we're discussing okay. vision, we're looking forward to what do we want to be in? It's the dreaming phase of yeah. our organizational plan. Okay. Purpose, I think, is what you were touching on, where it's like, why are we doing right. what we're doing? Right. If we don't know why, then we can't know where we're going. Right. Right? Which is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, actually, your vision is made up of. Both these things. All of them. Right. All yeah. of these things. Okay, so it, cool. It, how you establish those, I think, it becomes really important as yeah. well. Yeah. Awesome. 
So what you're making the claim of is that vision is about where you're going, not just about what you're doing today. Yes. But it does greatly impact what you're doing today. Well, yeah, because where you're going affects how you're going to live right now. Yes. You know, so if, you want to, if you want your organization to stay the exact same size, for example, then you're not going to be investing in developing and growing. Mm -hmm. um, Toyota is an example of a company that has really great and big vision. Actually, most Japanese companies have very long visions that actually look out really far into the future. Mm -hmm. So like most companies in North America, they're looking out 20 to 50 years. J Japanese companies are looking out like two, 300 years. Right. It's like, right. this is where we want to be in two or 300 years. Right. Much um, more generationally based. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're looking like, okay, we want to be the largest automotive manufacturer in the world. That was one of their vision statements. And I think they did that a few years ago. They're the largest automotive mm -hmm. manufacturer in the world. So like what you, sorry, just trying to tie it back to your, your what you brought up, mm -hmm. what you're, what you do today is greatly affected by what your vision is. Right. But when we're establishing vision as an organization, I think it's important that you are drawing the lines of, okay, in this point of our discussion, when we're establishing a mm -hmm. vision statement, we're really looking forward to, we're like, where do we want to be? Yeah. You know, Village's vision would be they want to have churches all across Canada. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's that shapes how we do everything right now. Because like when we're planting... Coquitlam or we're planting Abbotsford we're not just planting those churches we're trying to come up with systems that will allow us to plant across the whole country yeah because exactly. how you plant Coquitlam is going to be different from how you plant Abbotsford but what we're trying to establish is how we just plant generally so that we can go anywhere in the world yeah yeah does that make yeah no that, that makes sense uh, I was just more clarifying um, I definitely agree and I think if I think if your vision doesn't capture enough of the future then you're just left like you'll, you'll end up growing almost too large for your vision. So it, it really does have to think generationally. Like, Yeah, know. and like I would say a huge shift in church. Just, I don't know if it's too off topic right off the bat, but a huge shift is in this age right now, we're maybe thinking about longevity. Yes, of course, the church has to and always has. But historically, it was like we would plant a church, let's say, and we we would be the ones building the church building our whole lifetime mm -hmm. for our kids or for their kids even. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that physicality at all in the church these days, right? Like all the, you know, in Europe you go, all the, all the buildings, it's all, it, it took hundreds of years to build and they had vision because they were setting up, you know, an established church for generation after generation after generation. And now we've kind of moved completely from that tangible vision mm -hmm. which is really interesting just yeah. to note right yeah yeah i was reading about uh gm motors yeah. and how they had it like set it up very specifically that you buy a, a pontiac and that's a, a certain expense of a car and then you'd upgrade to uh like an old mobile and then a cadillac and so on and so forth um but they outgrew their vision they wanted to be a large like the largest um motor manufacturer in the mm -hmm. world or whatever mm -hmm. uh they they hit it but then they uh got lost in the complexity of what it had grown into right mm. uh had lost vision and then it plummeted and now all these cars like pontiac was supposed to be a 10 to twelve thousand dollar car range mm -hmm. or whatever uh cadillac was supposed to be that superior one and now if you see today they're all blending yeah. over top of each other 
competing with one another, which is not what they had started out to do. Yeah. And now they've lost 25% of their market because people were able to squeeze in. Oh, wow. So I think that really shows the yeah. importance of vision. Totally. Um, and to be looking forward, not just the next 10 years, but 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 100 years. And right? reestablishing it. It's something yeah. that, you know, like, okay, once you're getting close to your vision of where you saw yourself 10 years ago, let's say, then it's like, okay, well, now we need to start to reestablish, mm-hmm. okay, where are we going to go for the next 50 years? Mm-hmm. Something else that's interesting, though, um, that was shared, I think Carrie talked about it in the Thrive Conference, for you guys who were Carrie able to watch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He discussed um, how, in light of COVID and some of the stuff that's happened recently, a lot of organizations have had to reshift their vision and where they see themselves going because mm-hmm. the world today is totally different from where it was even six months ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And so while having a really long forward thinking vision, I think is a good thing. There also needs to be that flexibility where, you know, for example, I think he was talking about churches and, um, Terry was saying how cr- catastrophe catastrophes are an accelerator of kind of what, right. the, what was already happening. Mm-hmm. And so what, he's suggesting is probably going to happen is you're going to see Sunday morning attendance in person drop. Right. And we were seeing that trend already, but then we're probably going to see even when we can come back and meet together because, you know, doing church, like even for families, for example, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to sit down with Jack and Will and watch the church service online. It takes us, you know, 45 minutes versus trying to get the kid out of the house. Mm -hmm. It's like a two hour procedure Mm -hmm. to get out the door. And then we still have our community group, so it's not like we're not getting connections in that community building. So that, though, could affect one's vision and what they have for the future. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it's like, okay, we we want to see churches go all across Canada, as an example. It's like, we still may have that goal, but how we're actually going to accomplish that might look very different. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's focusing more on that online presence, which is kind of at least a little bit what Village has done and right. seen great success from right. it. Because like we have community right. groups starting in places all around the world and in Europe and you know places we never even imagined being right. with no, like the closest physical location is thousands of miles away. Yeah, and I guess talking about vision, it's so cool in the church. Um, I don't remember who said it, but I've heard it, that you don't just, as a Christian, as a church, you never just go through things, especially difficult things. You're always growing through things, mm-hmm. right? They make that distinguish. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have a divide between probably the secular and the church. Um, distinct difference is that, like, the church is trying to grow through whatever's happening, but, like, we have the ability to grow through. And we're not just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. We're always thriving, Yeah. right? Because we know we have a grounded trust in the eternal and all this sort of stuff. Right. Um, and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially what uh, building off of what you guys are saying, the vision has to be specific with a goal in mind, but not too specific that if, um, well, the world changes with something like COVID, mm-hmm. that all of a sudden your vision crumbles, right? So if it was, especially like with what Carrie was saying about how you'll see churches decline, um, you don't want to say we want a hundred people in each church on a Sunday. Like that's probably not the best vision to have as much as it's better to say we want to have churches across Canada. So churches across Canada can still happen, but as mm-hmm. church attendance, um, may change because of the online presence, 
it might be like, okay, maybe these aren't going to be physical churches. Now, this is just obviously hypothetical. But the vision needs to be broad enough that it can still um, happen without like a slight change in life. Is that mm-hmm. kind of right? Mm-hmm. I, I think yes and no because i think that you do run the risk of establishing too broad of a vision where it stop it starts to lose its meaning completely yeah so still specific enough i think i in my opinion and i didn't really read anything that was saying this but i would think that you want to establish a specific vision but be constantly revisiting that specific vision mm-hmm. in light mm-hmm. of the current context that you're living in mm-hmm. i think you still want that specific you know direction that you're heading because if it's like, you know, you've, if you get in the car and you say, we're driving north, right? Like, this is, that's a very general vision statement, yeah. right? We are going to go north for six weeks. We're just going to drive north, right? Like, that's very, very general vision, but there's like, there, we need specifics in order to get there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you may miss some really big, you know junctures where you need to turn in order to fast track your way to go north because all i'm just following the compass i'm actually not using a map Mm -hmm. so i think while vision does need to be i think it needs to be general in a sense where you know where you're going but also needs to be kind of specific now you're getting there Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be too specific because if you're saying you're driving north and you're giving someone right left directions all the way there and there's a road that's closed you need Mm -hmm. to adapt so you can give them a general route to take. You can give them route A or route B, like Google Maps does, mm-hmm. um, and it gives you that flexibility. And I think a good example of that recently has been with Freedom Session. How Freedom Session has this vision of like the end goal is bringing people to healing and freedom, and really removing any of those um, hurdles that keeps them from having a deeper relationship from Jesus. Because spoiler alert, at the end of Freedom Session, that is the whole purpose. People are going there. Um, thinking they're going there for healing and freedom but the goal is for you to have a deeper relationship with Jesus and the way we get there is by working on those things Mm -hmm. so healing and and freedom is the vision and what we found this season with COVID and having to switch from physical gathering to online people's way of thinking completely changed and they weren't buying into the online thing because they thought um, freedom was coming from these relationships in person mm-hmm. and so we constantly had to keep going back and saying no your healing and freedom is is coming from your relationship with Jesus and you can get that through you know meeting over online mm-hmm. and we had to keep bringing them back to that and uh, and I think that really helped I think that was the huge success that Freedom Session saw this year right we had 130 people sign up and 115 of those are graduating that's insane yeah and so we, we definitely had felt that rift with um with the changes going online of people drop wanting to drop out, not continuing, mm-hmm. um, from participants to facilitator, and even myself as part of the core team felt that struggle, but we kept bringing it back to the vision of we need to bring people to a closer relationship to Jesus, and it doesn't matter what venue um, or platform you're using because that is the vision. So we were able to adapt and get to the end goal now. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that like we're all basically saying the same thing in different ways. Uh, the vision, especially with Freedom Session was to bring people into a deep, authentic relationship with Christ while bringing freedom to their lives from Mm -hmm. sin. And even in light of COVID, that vision didn't change. How you guys got there had to change, and you guys adapted Mm -hmm. that, but the vision still remained the same. Mm -hmm. So specific enough that you knew where you were going, but that life events didn't impact that vision too much. Um, It's not to say that we shouldn't have specifics in our vision, but... And that's probably a, a cl- very clear example of what a vision should look like. Right. right. Um, it supersedes 
goals. It supersedes. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I think we've established vision is clearly important. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless you guys want to say one last thing on the importance of vision, <laughs> why don't we move into like what you have to do before you actually create your vision? Because mm-hmm. you can create a vision in a, a basement. But if you don't actually have an idea of how to implement it, why you're implementing it, um, it's not gonna, you're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> in order to establish vision, you must first start with goals, strategy, mission, purpose, and values. Um, do you guys want to add anything? Yeah, I would say even the order to that is important. So I think okay. the first thing you need to know is what Luke was saying is your why. So that's your purpose. Mm. You've got to know why you're doing what it is that you're doing. Then I think you need to establish your your goals as an organization. So uh, organizational goals are strategically set objectives that outline expected results and guide an employee's effort. So it helps provide direction to where everyone's going to be going. Um, goals are critical to an organization's effectiveness as they serve as an objective for people or employees, and they work. And that gives someone something specific to work towards achieving. Um, Then I think when you've established those things, then you can start to actually establish your mission, Um, which a a good mission statement, that's asking, uh, that seeks to answer what we do, who we serve, and how we serve them. And then from that, I think that's when you can start to establish your vision, which is that forward-looking goal. Where do we want it to be? What's, what's What's the end? And then from there, after that, we can establish our strategy, which is how, and that I think the strategy piece is the thing you have to hold really loosely. Like your your purpose, that's pretty concrete. I don't think that shifts much. Your goals, they might shift a bit. Your mission, that holds pretty pretty true. Your vision would also hold, I think, pretty strong, and then your strategy would be very loose, hmm. in my mind, because yeah. your strategy is like there's a million different ways you can do something you choose the most appropriate way for a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my thoughts. What, what, what about you, Emmy? I, I actually have a question for you, Ben. What would you think, out of all those steps, is the most important to have someone buy in into a vision? Mm. Like, from like, an organized, so you're saying, the most, what's the most important thing for a employee to have buy into? Yes. I would say it's the why. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the purpose. Yeah. If you don't have buy-in there, mm-hmm. then you really don't have buy-in in the mission. You know, like I could buy into the why and disagree with the strategy, mm-hmm. yes. but still work at the organization because I'm so bought into the why. That's right. Yeah, I think if you can if you can tap into people's passion, yes, that's what happens. Yeah, right? and then you're you're a lot like you know. Uh, for me, for example, I don't like doing a lot of admin work, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, but if I know why I'm doing it, mm-hmm. then I'm a lot mm-hmm. more willing to do it. That's right. Mm-hmm. And if I know why, like, even so, systems is something I've done a lot in my past, setting up systems and Excel or different ERP systems and different companies and stuff. And honestly, don't really love doing it. It's something that I've gotten kind of good at, but that's not, not something I really love doing. But what I love about it, the thing I actually love about it, is when I understand why we're doing it, and when I can see that future state, then it's like, okay, I'm willing to, you know, mm-hmm. fight in the mm-hmm. mud and go right. through all this crap in order to yeah. actually get to that end goal, right. because I'm bought into the, the purpose. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And um, the only reason I, I asked is because my mind was going to a job that I had in logistics. And in logistics, everything's about safety. Like that is um, the main goal is to be able to do your job and do it safely. And when you are casting vision for your employees, um, you can say, you know, safety is one of our core values and, and safety is really important to us. It's like it's, it's our, uh, our, vi our mission statement safety is number one and uh but it's really difficult to get people's buy-in unless you bring it back to why and the way we would bring it back to why or at least i would bring it back to why is like okay what is safety safety is you doing your job doing it well to provide for your family and then being able to go home to your family at the end of the day and uh and for people who who you come in contact with so that they can go home to their families at the end of the day because there's nothing worse than you coming out to do something to provide for your family and um, and on the other hand, you, you do the reverse and you don't come home or you come home injured or you injured somebody else <laughs> from uh, being able to provide for their family. So that why, that's why safety is so important mm -hmm. because you want to go home at the end of the day and to love. And when you, when you bring that and you touch someone's heart with that, they actually start doing um, the steps in order to do safety. They mm -hmm. do the things that didn't seem important, like three-point contact at the getting out of a truck. Right. They're like, why do I need three points of contact? I know how to get out of a truck. <laughs> yeah. But when they realize how important it is that just one slip yeah. can injure them, then they can't provide for their family. The only reason why they're at work, uh, it totally changes that. Now it becomes important to do three points of contact before yeah. you're getting in and out of a vehicle. Hmm. Yeah. The, 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 great the why really is so clearly important um, to get anybody believing in what it is you want to do. So if you don't communicate the why... Um, people aren't going to grasp on to the vision. Uh, so Simon Sinek, he wrote, um, he, he wrote with Start With Why. Mm -hmm. And he talks about uh, Simon Pierpont Langley. Do you, did you guys know who he is? No? Mm. Okay, great. Nobody knows who he is, uh, which is Simon's point. Uh, so I'm just going to read a little excerpt from his book. So Samuel Pierpont Langley set out in the early 1900s to be the first man to pilot an airplane. Highly regarded, he was a senior officer at the Smithsonian Institution, a mathematics professor who had also worked at Harvard. His friends included some of the most powerful men in government and business, including Andrew uh, Kaneage and Alexander Graham Bell. Langley was given a $50,000 grant from the War Department to fund his project, a tremendous amount of money for the time. Um, but, as we all know, who was it that actually flew first? The Wright brothers, mm -hmm. right? And nobody knew about these guys. They were just uh, out in a, in a field trying to build an airplane. And as soon as they accomplished their goal, people didn't know about it for another week because people didn't know about the Wright brothers. So once they uh, accomplished their goal, Samuel Pierpont Langley, who was uh, funded the basically the man for the job, immediately gave up. And it's because of his why. His why was he wanted to be the first. And if he's not going to be the first, he's not going to even try at all. Wow. So he quit. Wasting a ton of money uh, because the Wright brothers did it first. Mm -hmm. And uh, Simon Sinek's point is that if you don't have a very clear why for people to buy into, which really ties in with a vision, yeah. um, you're just going to have no interest in continuing with it, right? Yeah. You're going to lose the mission. You're going to lose the vision. Mm -hmm. um, and he also talks about uh, when you're selling things that you need to start with the why. So take uh take phones for example okay you, you have a cell phone it's an awesome tool so if if you see an advertisement 
that is, hey, here's a phone. It's going to let you call people. You should buy it. So we're like, okay, like it's a cool looking phone. But if you start with, um, we at, insert organization name, Apple, Google, we at Google believe in bringing um, just life refreshing tools to you, things that are going to bring uh, convenience, things that are going to allow you to get more done in life. Uh, and this is our entire purpose. And you can do that with this phone. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you're going to think, oh man, that's an awesome why for why I need that phone. I'm going to buy that phone, right? right? So it's just how you communicate that why and starting with the why. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say easily the most important thing. Yeah, I think you brought up something really cool too in that when you're establishing your why, knowing what you're actually establishing because mm-hmm. what was the name of that guy? Uh, that's hilarious mm-hmm. because nobody knows him. Samuel Pierpont Langley. So Samuel, okay. Yeah. Samuel, he uh, had a very clear why. Uh It was to be the first. Mm. But the consequence of that why led him to not even have, you know, uh, an airplane in the sky. Yeah. It wasn't to be the best. Mm -hmm. Like, if it was the best, then you would be like, oh, you know, that's fine. You know, for example, like, another example would be like the race to space. Mm. right mm-hmm. the Russians were the first to get into space but then the Americans are known for what they've actually accomplished in space yeah. I think like you know the why yeah. while there's that race I think their why actually superseded was we wanted to actually have like space dominance or I don't know right. whatever yeah. they wanted to be the first to the moon and they actually did it mm-hmm. but it's like yeah. knowing because I'm not saying he had a bad vision it's just his vision led to a really serious consequence you're kind of putting all your eggs in that one mm-hmm. basket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just important to know the dark side of your vision, I guess. It was, it yeah. was short-sighted. It was short-sighted vision. And it's like you were talking about um, some organizations, the, the Japanese ones that just have really long term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like the, the, the phrase that they say, aim for the stars and land on the moon type of thing. Right. right? Like if you have a larger right. vision, then yeah. you accomplish more. Where his was really short-sighted and his mm-hmm. was only just to be the first and yeah. not really... Uh, anything outside of that but the good part of it would have been like everyone in his organization they would have been racing to get it done because they had to be first mm-hmm. right you would have had that intensity mm-hmm. but then ultimately they lost like it yeah. was a complete wash I got a good quote out. it's um because you're talking through Simon Sinek right yeah um his next book that he wrote was called The Infinite Game okay and it's like you know, so he writes this book about why, knowing your why, all this stuff. But then he writes that actually that's only part of the picture because mm-hmm. if you're casting vision and, and living out vision in a finite setting, you're actually making goals and all this kind of stuff that doesn't have longevity, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're making goals like we want to have a million bucks by, you know, in five months. But if you would just live out the proper vision in an infinite game, quote unquote, as he puts it, you might make that goal in a year, but be a healthier company, Mm. if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? Rather than sacrifice all this other stuff to hit this Mm -hmm. goal that you arbitrarily set. Mm -hmm. Um, Pretty interesting. So his first thing, and it's just really interesting, is a just cause. So he says, even more than your why or your purpose a just cause is what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning. And it's the passion or hunger that burns inside that compels you to do what you do. Your just cause is what powers you to outlast your competitors. It propels you to 
It propels you forward in the face of adversity and empowers you to preserve when you feel like giving up. So even in this example, you're saying about the guy that's trying to fly, right? Right. Right. It's like a just cause would propel you past that moment where even if someone did it before you or you, you still have a just cause to keep going. right? Right. And not just stop because you're playing an infinite game that's beyond just an arbitrary goal you set. Your vision supersedes mm-hmm. that. That's good. Basically, to put it in layman's terms, your why can't be selfish. Almost. Exactly. Like, it's got to be a healthy why. Right. Um, which I was going to say about Samuel Pierpont Langley is Samuel. he... Samuel. His, yeah, his why was... <laughs> Just call him Sam. His, his why was clearly selfish, right? right? He wanted to be the first. He wanted the glory. Exactly. And instead of building on something that the Wright brothers had done and thinking, oh, I have the resources. I can come alongside and propel mm-hmm. this even further. Mm-hmm. He instead gave up because his why wasn't a why of character integrity. Very so, good point. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. So maybe um, to help establish, like, I have a couple of examples of different organizations that have really good mission and vision statements, mm-hmm. and I found it helpful in distinguishing the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. So I'll just read a couple of them off. So I'll actually read them and then see if you guys can tell me what organization it is. <laughs> so. The mission is to accelerate the world's uh, transition to sustainable en- energy. Hmm. Okay. The vision is to create the most compelling car company of the 21st century by driving the world's transit to electric vehicles. Well, it's got to be the SkyTrain. I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> Tesla. Yeah. Elon so uh, another one. The <laughs> mission, we strive to offer our customers the lowest possible price, the best available selection, and the utmost convenience. And the vision to be the Earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything that they might want to buy online. Amazon. Yeah. Right. So those were good examples. One, because in reading them, you guys actually knew what they were. Mm -hmm. And then the distinction between what their mission is. The mission is a lot more like, I like Tesla's, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Mm -hmm. It's so broad. It's so big. Like that's Mm -hmm. our Mm -hmm. mission and like why we exist as an organization is to do that. And then the vision is providing some specifics to it. And it even puts it in a timeline, like the 21st century, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By driving the world's transition to electric vehicles. That's yeah. how they've chose to enact that mission. Mm-hmm. That helped me when I was like, to understand the distinctions between mission and vision. Very good. Yeah. Sure. Really good. Yeah. Um, Definitely forward thinking and outside of themselves too. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, again. That's and important. the mission helps establish your why too, right? Because the mission is based on your purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? So to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy, there's like the why is sustainable. Energy. Yeah, and anyone getting on board with that, yeah. they're going to do what they can. You right. know, they'll put in longer hours. And I know that's a thing with Tesla especially. It's people work long hours because they, they want to be part of this thing happening. Right. You know, they mm-hmm. want to see this come to fruition. That's really sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, so uh, what about goals then? Because we have to establish goals. Uh, do you have any uh, research on how that fits into all this? Well, I think your goal, if we keep going with this Tesla example, mm-hmm. your goal um, is so like they want to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. So the sustainable energy is, is the goal and accelerating that process. So speeding up people are the world's transition to sustainable energy. So their goal is to have sustainable energy or one of mm-hmm. their goals. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be like, you know, establishing that goal would be part of it. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, so setting out very clearly what it is you want to do yeah. and then putting it into their own vision. That's the what, happens. right? So yeah. the goal becomes the what. Yeah. It's, it's so a goal is trying. very much tied to the vision then and the creation of that vision. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just something that sits in the background. So one of the, this actually ties in really well. So in order to establish vision, I read this article and, and pulled these things from it. So to establish vision, the first step is you have to know your goals. So anyone who has done it successfully will tell you that goal setting helps them accomplish more than they ever realized was possible. Setting goals includes not only where you plan to end up, but the steps that you will take to get there. Hmm. So then there's like how to set clear goals. Uh, you know, have you ever heard like smart goal setting, like specific, measurable, mm -hmm. attainable, mm -hmm. realistic, and time-based goals? Yeah. Right? Um, think about how you measure your goals. Etc. Etc. So that's how you like you're establishing a goal. The second step would be to consider the company's values. So whatever you want to do, you have to run it through the filter of your organization's values. Mm -hmm. Again, when you look at Tesla's example, they want sustainable energy, which means they're it's going to affect how they're going to go about it because one of their values is the environment. Yeah. Right. So right? actually, their whole means has to follow their values. Their values, which is. Which is closely related to, like uh, we that Austin summarized really well, establishing a good why statement yeah. can't be just selfishly focused. It has mm -hmm. to be, what was the word that you used? Just cause. Uh, have, have a just cause. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's probably yeah. closely tied to that. Well, and then because I think what you're doing is setting yourself apart, that even people that aren't as passionate about it mm -hmm. at least can understand the just cause and get behind. Right. Beyond ourselves, what, what are we doing here? Right. Then building on, uh, then the third step, once you've established your, considered the values and established your goals, then you're gonna build on a mission statement for a great company vision. So you mm -hmm. take the mission statement you've established and you build on that. Uh, for your vision to grow organically and develop properly, it must be an extension of what you already do successfully. Uh, the fourth step is to have a very simple company vision. Hmm. Really? So not to make it too complicated. Uh, fifth step is not to be ambiguous. While lofty, your vision still needs to be so clear that you can show uh, can show it to five independent observers, and they can all come up with the exact same interpretation. So that's why, like Tesla's vision statement to create the most compelling car company of the twenty first century by driving the world's transition to electric vehicles. It's specific. It's a compelling car, so it's going to be nice. It's going to be you know. Um, interesting cutting edge it's going to push all of the like um uh i want to say architectural boundaries but i don't know if that's the right engineering mm -hmm. engineer yeah and like it's going to push all those envelopes while still being an electric vehicle mm -hmm. so there's clarity to that yeah, vision yeah, yeah. right yeah and then six is to be forward thinking and then seventh to, to establish time frames so the 21st century is the time frame for yeah. tesla so that's one article that I read on actually the what steps to take to actually establish vision. Mm -hmm. um, one article that I read, it's uh, A Blurry Vision of the Future, How Leader Rhetoric About Ultimate Goals Influences Performance by Andrew M. Carton. And he just breaks down uh, a lot of what you were saying as well uh, about how your vision needs to be simple, especially when communicating it to a uh just like a broader art audience so if you're just communicating your vision to one person they'll yeah. likely grasp it in the same way that you grasp it because it's just it, 
there's not a lot of people, not a lot of ways that different people can interpret it because just two people in the room. Um, but if I'm speaking to a hundred people and I go and I say, my dream is to create a burger that uh, people enjoy and bring purpose to their life by uh, creating the burger themselves. Like the vision is just, when, when you hear that, what everybody's thinking of is very different. How somebody enjoys something is going to be different. Mm -hmm. What that burger looks like is going to be different in everybody's brain. Um, but if you say, I'm here to bring the best grilled chicken sandwich that will cause people to smile as they eat it, um, people, it's very clear what a, a grilled yeah. chicken sandwich is yeah. and what smiling looks like. Yeah. And so when crafting your vision, you need to keep it as simple uh, as possible with as few values uh, impacting it. Because again, diff like multiple because values. values are different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So That's multiple values, people will take away. How do you get that person to smile? Oh, it's by feeding them the burger. It's by offering them the burger, right? And different values will impact. Mm -hmm. And so again, like Tesla, I think has done a great job with their vision statement yeah. and what that looks like. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, okay. So we, we've gotten through goals, uh, the why, the mission, um, so crafting that vision is really the, the fruition of all these things that we've brought in. Mm -hmm. uh, and that vision should, should hopefully um, happen fairly naturally once you've accomplished all these steps. However, it will be different depending on whether you're doing it as a team or whether mm -hmm. you're doing it as a sole leader. So right. I think let's, uh, let's take a look at what it like communicating and crafting a, a vision as a sole leader, what they that may look like. Because a lot of companies, especially when you take in, like, look at organizational structures, uh, it's typically a hierarchy. That's the most common mm -hmm. form of business. And so the CEO will craft that, um, that vision, and then he will communicate it to the rest of the employees. Yeah. So it's usually pretty simple. Um, how do you think that we can do that effectively in that format, like a, a hierarchy organization. And then we'll jump into what it looks like on a, a team level different. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, I guess leadership styles also right. feeds into that quite a bit too. Right. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talks about a level five leader. So even even a guy that's the, the ultimate leader, right? And his biggest point is humility mm -hmm. off the bat. So it's like, this guy, whoever it may be, this leader started with nothing, had a vision for something, began doing it. But now, um, you know, when he's interviewing some of these guys that created and, and established great companies, the best, like a Wells Fargo, stuff like this, right? They're super humble dudes that look back and just say, you know, like, I was just grateful to work there. Mm. That's their response when interviewed, you know? And it's like, wow, okay, so humility, number one, is the best thing. Guys that understand they're surrounding themselves with the right people, building the right teams, even though they're the sole visionary for the whole thing, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. they don't even see it that way, right? They see that, that the people they were surrounded with really casted it with them and worked alongside them. Though everyone else usually that worked for them would say, no, they, they did it, you know? Mm. Like look back at the leader and say, he was the guy, he was the leader. So mm -hmm. first thing's humility. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that that word humility is kind of what explains the successes and um, 
excuse me, in the, uh, in the four different styles. Um, you know, the authoritative, um, come with me. There's a humility, like asking someone to follow them. The, affiliate, the affiliative style, um, the coaching style, the, um, the democratic style. They all have a sense of humility where you come down to, to an organization's level or to an employee's level or whoever you're speaking to. And then the ones that aren't as successful, they lack humility. Like the pace setting style, the one, the leader who wants to set a, a performance standard, and if you don't mm-hmm. um, keep up to them, then you're no good to them. And mm-hmm. or the coercive style, which is like do what I say. There's a lack of humility in both those styles that are the least effective. Mm-hmm. Now there's there's places for those. Like the coercive is is great for like an emergency setting. I remember there was a um, a moment when I was uh, in a different job where um there was an emergency this uh this welder that we had in the shop he had a bunch of rags and he was doing some grinding next to these rags oh, and the no. rags caught on fire and yeah. it, it lit his um, his coveralls on fire yeah. and he started he started screaming he started yelling for help and uh and at that point like my my leadership style completely changed to hey go get the fire extinguisher. But if I was a little bit more democratic, it wouldn't have helped, right? Like, it would have been like, hey, what do you think we should do at this point? What do you guys right, feel? Right, Let's make like, a choice together. Yeah, while, while the guy is screaming in the background. But, but yeah. like, so there is there is a place for it. Yeah. And But it's, if you continue to use it constantly, it, it definitely defeats what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, especially on the humility, that's really interesting because a humble leader will see beyond themselves um, and communicate a vision that will last generationally again right yeah. which is a big point whereas yeah. if you're not a humble leader and you make it about yourself and building up your company mm-hmm. and be like i'm the one that built this from the ground up then as soon as you are gone that company is most likely going to go through a, a difficult time um right as you, as there's a leadership transition and that's the trend we see yeah right? that's exactly what um happened in good to great oh, when you have these great they what do you call level four leaders who were in their time they were running the organization were just as effective as a level five leader the difference was when they left mm. the company's tanked crumbled like their stock mm-hmm. prices dropped like mm-hmm. pretty much from the moment they, they left the whole because the company lost what it like it lost its general yeah right that's how you'd see it a commanding general that it needed to run yeah right um i think that's the like i think and just agreeing with what you guys have said, but I think it's um, your leadership style is less important. Even your organizational structure is less important than the humility of the person who's on top because there's like advantages and disadvantages to different types of organizational structures. And, but if, if the leader who is kind of overseeing it isn't humble, then it kind of, all of them, start falling apart mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter the structure i think you know because you can have a like a hierarchical structure which is how more most organizations operate like if you have a humble leader at the top it's probably one of the most effective ways for an organization to run mm-hmm. because hierarchy there's like clarity of what you're responsible for what you're not there's clarity around who you report into and who you take orders from right that's how like military set up right it's very effective can be very you know um, time-based and, and responsive. Um, if the guy at t- up the, at the top is actually listening to mm-hmm. everyone and actually allowing what they're saying to influence how they're leading, it can be the worst, slowest, most cumbersome organization if the guy up top is just trying to send his direction and he's not listening to um, 
like the people who are actually working on the front lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But vision is so like military. The vision will always be for a greater good, no matter what. But like when you think of a soul visionary, you know, guys. Generally, the thing behind the thing is I want to be successful and I want to make money mm -hmm. in in organizations. And it's like if that if forever your values don't infuse, you know, if like some value beyond yourself never comes to infuse mm -hmm. into that vision, then actually the selfishness and the the greed of it will take over and you might be successful but you're going to be miserable or what you know there's a different thing happening there which i don't know i don't know where i'm going with that exactly but it's important to point out it's far different than the church especially right right when we're talking about vision and church leadership and i don't know so when we're talking about this kind of going back to the initial question that austin posed which was like the differences between a sole individual establishing leadership and a collaborative group of people, like a team, a core team of people establishing vision for an organization. What do you guys think the pros and the cons are of both? Mm -hmm. I think you guys um, said one of them for the single leader, which is if um, a single, single leader is really good at, uh, at motivating his team, um, it's almost like self-relying on that leader to lead them and cast vision constantly. Um, because they're not doing it for themselves. So when that leader leaves, mm -hmm. it kind of collapses, mm -hmm. right? Because it, everything's based on that. And so that would probably be one of the, uh, the cons. Um, so it's almost, it's almost like um, the leader needs to um, teach those that he's casting vision how to continue that casting. It's, it's kind of like that, uh, that perpetual toy that sits on, on a desk on a boss's desk, right? If you pull the, the chrome ball to one side mm -hmm. and you let it go and then it just perpetually keeps going, you need someone to pull the ball back, let it go, but allow them to continue it, mm -hmm. right? In order for that to continue driving mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, that's good. That's a great example. Yeah. Um, I would say a pro to a single leader establishing vision uh, would be it's faster. Mm -hmm. So it can mm -hmm. be established 100%. in you know a shorter timeline, mm -hmm. which depending on the situation you're in becomes really important. Um, you know, using COVID as an example, where a lot of organizations have had to kind of reestablish where they fit as a business and in the world that we're now living in, um, having someone who can just say, "Okay, boom, this is our new vision," mm -hmm. or you know, that is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's not decided like democratically. It's not a whole bunch of people getting in a room. That can take be slow. It can take a lot of time. I think the other thing is sometimes uh, depending, and it really depends on how the meeting is chaired. So I think this this would really tie into how you're actually running the meeting. But I think oftentimes, um, especially when people are more agreeable, you get them in the room. And let's say Luke completely disagrees with the vision that I want to take. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? We compromise. Right. Negotiate. Right? We negotiate. Yeah. And I think a compromised vision can often lead to like really, really general statements yeah. that aren't super specific, that then lose that the whole, like the vision just becomes kind of this meaningless sentence mm -hmm. because we've tried to accommodate and fit everyone's views into one Right, and ultimately, you, you know, what you wouldn't even realize you're doing, you're taking the emotion out of it. Right. 
right? Because when it is one person, right, mm-hmm. they're they've got an emotional cause behind what they're doing right. in this moment. But if you get too diplomatic yeah. with that, you have to erase the emotions right. to just come to a common ground, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of what a good vision is. Yeah, right. I think uh, there was an example of one in a video I watched where a guy. Uh, he works in organizations, I think it was to help establish mission and vision inside mm-hmm. the company. So he used one example. This owner came to a meeting and he was like, all right, guys, this is what I think our vision is, to create the best darn pizza <laughs> in New York City. Or right. Something like that. That was what it was. Yeah. Something along those lines. Anyways, then there was some pushback. It's like, okay, like that, but we really do a lot of different Italian food well. So, you know, shouldn't we also include Italian food in it? So then, and then it's like, well, do we want to limit ourselves to this area? What if we want to, you know, expand to more places, right? right? right. And then, you know, do we, do we really want to use like profanity in it? Like, do we want to be that hardcore? Should we, cause they used darn, mm-hmm. right? Do we want to like, you know, make it a little bit more family sensitive and stuff like that? And so then the vision, mission, vision statement afterwards was like, <laughs> um, to create really good Italian food, um, for the family and that can be shared across the world. Right. Something that's like, right. Well, where's, where's the vision mm-hmm. in that? So I right. think, I think that can be lost. Right. Um, if the meeting isn't shared well, which that's is the key point. thing, because it's like, if Luke and I were having a discussion and he completely disagrees with the vision that I have at some point, you're probably better off telling Luke or telling me, no, then you're wrong. We actually are agreeing with Luke. Because mm-hmm. then at least you have a clear direction. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because, like, especially when it comes to the different leadership styles, and I know, I think leadership styles serve a, a purpose. I don't think they're the end all, kind of like we've established. I think humility is probably uh, the better thing to focus on. But, um, like, yeah, when you have the lone uh, CEO that's crafting the vision, I think it also adds a level of inspiration, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you can, the you got your uh, Winston Churchill, you got your Martin Luther King Jr. Right. that are able to give just incredible speeches and inspire people and be like, man, this is incredible. And when you get in a room, uh, kind of like the the democratic style of leadership, it's not that you can't inspire people, but it's harder to come out as a group of ten people or whatever and then inspire everybody else and be like, this is what we've come up, right? It's I think there's just when there's too many voices in there, mm-hmm. it gets muddled. Right. Um, sure. Like, so in Leadership That Gets Results by Daniel Goleman, uh, it says the Democrat, he writes, the Democratic style has its drawbacks. Um, One of its most exasperating consequences can be endless meetings where ideas are mulled over, consensus remains elusive, and the only visible result is scheduling more meetings. Some democratic leaders use the style to put off making crucial decisions, hoping that enough thrashing things out will eventually yield a blinding insight. In reality, their people end up feeling confused and leaderless. Such an approach can even escalate conflicts, Hmm. which, I mean, is exactly what you guys are saying, where all of a sudden you have to step in and be like, Luke, we disagree with you. We're going with Ben's idea. And then all of a sudden you have tension within the group Mm -hmm. that was trying to come to a diplomatic solution mm-hmm. or a democratic solution or whatever. Right. Um, but it was divisive. It was divisive and caused splits, and, right? It, yeah. So they do serve its mm-hmm. purpose, mm-hmm. but I, I just think one of the great strengths of having the lone CEO that casts the vision is just that uh, it's very clear, it can be inspiring, straightforward. Um, right. 
I, yeah, I think that's one of the strengths and weaknesses of the undemocratic view. But. I, I love that, actually, when I read that. Mm. And one example like jumped in my mind as soon as I read it, that I made a cri- critical error when I used the democratic style when I shouldn't have. Mm. And that was with, uh, with my team lead meetings. They, they were a monthly meeting, and the purpose of them is to develop uh, and to inspire um, and to, yeah, to develop them as leaders. And uh, when COVID happened, there was uh, once a month just didn't seem enough um, because when we met that first meeting, you could see the, how excited they were and how thirsty they were for that connection. And, uh, and, and a lot of them were, were asking to do a weekly meeting. Hmm. And so it kind of changed from having this developmental feel to it to we were meeting to connect. So we, we were moving away from the purpose of these meetings. Hmm. And one of the meetings, I opened it up to um, to them to say, hey, what do you guys want to see with these meetings? And it became such a confusion, such a chaotic thing. And uh, everyone had different uh, ideas of what these meetings should be. And there was no vision behind it. And I, I could feel that tension. I got out of the meeting and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> and so I, uh, I decided that I would regain control and really be really intentional of what these meetings were and mm-hmm. continue the developmental. And I and playing on the thirst and the need of the team, um, I started thinking that content, content is really important for these meetings, first of all, to develop mm-hmm. them. Uh, yes, they want connection, but we're going to get that connection as we do these weekly meetings, but there still needs to be a structure with it, and we still need to stick with the purpose of it right. being developmental. So we're bringing in now... People like Dr. Josh Cruz, yeah. um, and doing those um, those seminars for us to really learn how to cope with in this in this scenario. Uh, we're doing team appreciation and how we can appreciate each other and, and learn each other's long, love language, and that's completely changed everything. Right. Like we're still having the connection, um, but I needed to be a little bit more. Um, uh, I had to switch styles, yeah, leadership yeah. styles, because the democratic was was definitely not needed at that time. It sounds like you switched to the authoritative style. That's right. Where um, you're like, "Come with me. This is our this is our vision. This is our purpose." Right. right. But what's interesting though is when you did that. See, maybe like you still were humble enough to take their feedback, right? And go, "Oh, I need to actually adjust and make and and do have like a focus on building team unity, mm-hmm. right? Especially in light of COVID." But then it was like you took, you know maybe your error was just in how you went about opening up the floor. It wasn't that you opened it up. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like opening up and saying, hey, guys, just looking for some input. What do you, you know, I want to get your thoughts about how these meetings should be structured Mm -hmm. versus like, how do you want these meetings to be run? Right. Right? It's like, I'm looking for input. I'm making a decision Mm -hmm. versus let's decide together as a group. Yeah. Right. Um, Like that. Because you still need that feedback. For Mm -hmm. sure. Right. And you yeah. got that, and then you were able to take control, you know, yeah. of it again, and it's a better meeting. For sure. Yeah, and it was just interesting in that article yeah. where it says it leaves people feeling leaderless, and I definitely felt that in that meeting. Right. Where it was like leaderless meeting, and I was like, okay, that's a fail, but a fail is good because you learn from it, and yeah. you improve yeah. it, and, and yeah. you go from it. Right. So, and yeah, and back to the input of taking their input and being humble in that. Yeah, we're still taking the input. We are meeting weekly now, opposed to once a month, and that came out of their heart, out of their desire. And uh, but still sticking with the um, the greater vision of things of developing them and yeah that's so good. Yeah. Now we had talked about having this conversation a little bit later, but I think it fits really well here. So, so I'm going to bring it up. What <laughs> when you're talking about churches? Yeah. Okay. And you have church structures, right? 
the traditional church model that I was brought up in was um, eldership. There mm-hmm. wasn't pastors. Okay, so it was there was just elders, mm-hmm. and each elder there. I think there was a chair, right? Who would like would lead the discussions. Yeah, but no one person made the decision. Mm-hmm. Right, so it was a group of people that had to decide the direction of the church. Mm-hmm. Contrast that to uh, a lot more churches today, right? Where it's more based around a sole visionary. Mm-hmm who goes out, he starts this church, and then, you know, a group of people comes and, you know, you know surround him in starting this church, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you see that a lot, I think, in a lot of, like, the more celebrity pastors started mm-hmm. run churches. Yeah, yeah. Right? So there's clearly an advantage to one. Yeah. And there's, you know, clearly, a, a, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. But how do you guys think that that should work? Yeah. Well, I mean, off the bat, I think... When you bring up celebrity pastors, mm-hmm. and we all know what that looks like, um, I immediately consider followship, follower, like the followers, and it's because myself included, it's you see this guy and you get more absorbed, or you, not more, you get absorbed with the mystery behind the man to some extent, where it's just like, who is this guy? You know, he's so attractive. Not physically, <laughs> all the time, but he's so attractive the way he's doing it. He's right. got so much passion in what he's, how he's going about it. It's different. It's new. You know, he's unique, whatever it is. Right. And that's celebrity pastor where it's the followers get sucked in, in a good way, but maybe to some extent, a bad way. Right. Um, the mystery behind the man where when you have a panel church, it's not that way. Right. right. It's more like, I I would say the vision itself, mm-hmm. like the, would would attract you to that church, right? You know what I mean. But then it's so difficult. I think the thing that like most churches that run more like the panel way, mm-hmm. it's a good way to describe it. They stay small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's largely because getting a you know a group of a people right. to mm-hmm. actually agree on something can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it it stays more true to the vision and the mission when it's a panel. Because if we're talking celebrity um, um, preachers, it serves more of a distraction because it now becomes, takes away from the vision and and what they're talking about, which is the gospel. And it focuses more on the individual. Because Mm -hmm. I I know even recently I saw uh, something that that caught my eye. um, And I think it was on Instagram or something. And it was a preacher. And he was talking about the gospel he was preaching the gospel but i could not get past his button or his shirt being unbuttoned so far down his <laughs> down to his navel where it was such a distraction right. and it was it was he was you know and it, everything that he was wearing the tight jeans everything was yeah, such yeah. a distraction to right. me that it, i felt like he was it was more self-focused and uh, and that's kind of like where the appeal is for that demographic they're they're coming towards this this um, this preacher and then they're surrounding him because of who he is mm-hmm. not so much not solely for what he is saying mm-hmm. about the gospel um, and so that's I think that's really important to point out as well yeah like in the panel it kind of becomes it takes away the distraction from one individual it becomes mm-hmm. more of a um, about the mission mm-hmm. the vision. Mm-hmm. all right so then that's a great point Emmy but what would you say and this isn't just to our sense to everyone what would you say then is like 
the importance of establishing vision or how do you go about establishing vision when you have a group of people who's responsible for establishing it? So like in a church context, you have a group of elders, right? And they have to just turn the direction. And like I was saying before, oftentimes churches that are structured that way, at least in my experience, they've typically been smaller churches because it's hard to get everyone to agree. So if you were, you know, you've graduated the Immerse program, the first church you go and pastor at, it's really like eldership focused, eldership directed. How do you step into that? And then still provide effective vision if you're collaboratively doing it as a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it comes through through first of all clarity. You got to be clear and, and concise of, of what the vision is. So you have to have your own understanding of what the vision is and a good understanding of it, a solid one. And so when you bring it to the table, um, it is communicated clearly. And then um, there's also some affirmation that happens in a group setting, right? There has to be. Um, some feedback that happens that solidifies what your belief is for the value or, or for the vision of it. And so I just wanted to, I, I found a study that I found really interesting that kind of um, talks to on that. And the studies by this French psychologist, his name is Serge um, Moscovici. Um, so he's a French psychologist. And so what he's, what he's done here is that he's taken a bunch of participants and he asked them two simple questions. One of the questions was, what do you think of the French president? And the second question was, what do you believe, um, what's your thoughts on the Americans? And so they all had their views on the president and on the Americans. And then after uh, these two questions were asked, they were sent into a room to discuss what their answers were. And what he found was that if someone uh, had said, um, you know what, I I like the French president, Uh, or they said, um, you know, I'm not too fond of the Americans. After they spoke, um, with the group in the group setting, it actually made their decision more affirmed and more extreme mm-hmm. because they brought them back and asked them the same question. And um, everybody who was who was you know had a modest answer. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if I like the Americans. I uh, I don't know. I think he's a great guy. The president. They came back saying, I love the president. The president right. is so amazing. Mm. And yeah, no, I definitely do not like the Americans because there is. Um, he goes on to say that there's this um, affirmation that happens and a reflection that happens when you speak out what your belief is and someone else affirms it. And so in a team setting, that's kind of what happens on a panel. Yeah, right. right? So, so the first person that talks influences mm-hmm. the direction of the entire panel. It, it does. And so if, if you have that clarity and you speak to someone and that person can buy into it and then affirm it, you create that vision out of that conversation. Right. Interesting. So <clears throat> then what becomes really important uh, before you sit down and start to discuss this is that people know what they're going into a meeting to discuss. So they can pre So they can be prepared. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're not prepared and one guy is, you know, um, for example, in one of our community groups, we got sidetracked. And we started talking about um, gun laws, okay? And this was after we had done our community group discussion. It just turned into this when people <laughs> were hanging out, okay? And certain people in the group were really well-versed and had very clear opinions on gun laws. And others weren't. So the person who was clearly versed would influence the other people, and they would agree with that person, or, or would be more likely to agree with that person, because 
that guy knows what he's talking about. Because his argument is good. Mm-hmm. Right. So then what, you're, what that article's really showing is, or that study's really showing, is that when you're sitting down to come to a panel discussion, everyone needs to be prepared when they walk in that room to discuss the direction. That's right, because what happened there in your community group is heretics. So heretics is a shortcut of the brain that causes you to solve a problem. It's kind of what um, what I saw in that show. I saw this, um, what you call that, prank show, where um, they were playing a prank on this unassuming person in a doctor's clinic. Everyone were actors. Uh, everyone was sitting down. So as this unsuspecting person, this lady, came into the clinic... She thought she was there to watch or, or to go visit the doctor, but really she was there for a prank show. And so she signs in, she goes, sits down, everybody's sitting down, doing their thing, reading a magazine, a newspaper, what have you. And then this buzzer goes off and everyone stands up mm-hmm. uh, at the exact same time for the exact amount of time. And she looks around super confused and perplexed. And then they sit back down <laughs> and she's still very perplexed of what just happened. And then the buzzer goes off again moments later and they all stand up again. And, uh, and they're not even looking at each other. There's no confusion. They're reading their magazine still. They stand up for a few seconds. And at this point, you can see her wheels turning in her mind, saying, should I be doing the same thing? And then they sit back down. On the third time, she actually stands up right. alongside them. She doesn't know why she's standing up. But she does. And that's where it becomes hilarious, because now she's just following everybody else. It's, a her- it's, a- it's heretics. Because now she's just following the crowd because it's almost like a survival thing. She knows that they are all in consensus about it, and it's probably the right thing to do, so she's mm-hmm. now following suit. And actually what, what you're seeing is, like, a, it could be a tactic of a manipulation because, you know, like in a cult setting, panel or most of the time soul visionary, it's the guy that's saying, this is the answer, this is the answer, this, you know, and he's... And he's taking the people that are looking for that and he's just giving them the answer and now they're forced to or not forced to but in some way convinced to agree with him right and that can become very manipulative Mm -hmm. and and that's you know the danger of not having a panel Mm -hmm. but also you know what i'm saying like there's there's a yeah like we need um especially in the church it's where i guess you need that truth to hold on to like the the real truth that is your standard to set your vision based on and and your leadership based on and you're right like when you're prepared for a meeting like that with elders knowing pre like beforehand what you're going to be talking about prepares you so it kind of eliminates a little bit of the heretics a bit Mm -hmm. because you're already prepared with a little bit of your own opinion and, and it prepares like them, too. It prepares them as well. Yeah. Because we do this all the time, whether we realize it or not. Like in the movie theater, when we're done our popcorn, we're like, where are we going to put this empty bag or this empty pop drink? And we look around, everyone's popping in underneath their seat, so we do the same thing. We realize that that's okay. So we do it constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was something that we went to the movie theater and there was someone out front saying, hey, uh, when you're done with your popcorn, um, crumple it up and throw it to the side, we wouldn't even look around to the next person because we already have uh, a preconceived notion of what we're supposed to do with the popcorn bag, right? But because mm-hmm. we don't get that instruction beforehand, we look at the masses to see what hmm. everyone else is doing. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's interesting. Daniel Goleman also affirms the same idea where um, when in a group setting, uh, the leader or whoever speaks first or whatever, um, whatever they say, the next person to speak is actually going to talk more about uh, the leader's point of view and what they said, then their own personal right. ideas. So mm-hmm. even when it comes to ditching the popcorn, whoever acted first, they're going to respond likewise. Yeah. Just because, oh, there's clearly somebody that knows what they're doing, and so I want to get on board with that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is fascinating because you're also talking about how like within the context of a church an elder board um if that rings true then whoever speaks first or whoever is the leader in that elder board the chair the pastor whatever um it, it, it kind of alludes to saying that the the elders will typically agree unless there's a clear distinction of each one is equally the mm-hmm. leader versus one leader and elders that are there to agree with mm-hmm. them. Yeah, so I think if we were to pull it back a bit and just go, if you were placed in a church where it was like the elders were determining the direction of the church, but you were, you know, put in that context, the important thing to remember when you're trying to establish vision and direction for your, for your church is that when you're coming together to meet as a group, everyone knows what's being discussed and everyone mm-hmm. has the responsibility to prepare, mm-hmm. research, be ready to actually discuss something. This isn't something you're just showing up to and then being like, what's this meeting about again? It's right. like no, that no, no, preparation's no. gone in so that everyone mm-hmm. actually has an informed opinion, mm-hmm. not just an opinion where they're going to jump on board with the first person who speaks or, um, you know, they hold an opposing opinion without actually doing the research, right. which again ties us back to the most important characteristics of a leader, whether you're in a panel or a soul leader, mm-hmm. which is humility, because mm-hmm. you've got to be able to be humble, teachable, hold your ideas, listen to someone else, and not just be combative when you're discussing. Mm-hmm. So let's, does anyone else have anything to add to that? No. no. So let's flip it. Let's say after immerse, you're put in a church context where it's really based on you. Right. Maybe it's you're starting your own church. Yeah. Like that's that's your next step. So now it's it's really based on you. What are some of the cons to a you know a sole leader establishing vision and direction for an organization or a church? I think there's probably a loneliness, and uh, like you have to be confident in what it is that you're you're doing. Otherwise, people aren't going to get on board with your vision. Like um, they talk about the authoritative leader. Yeah being inspiring and like calling people to action they come like we're going this way come with me i have a vision and if you don't communicate that clearly then nobody's gonna follow you so there's no following to begin with because you're saying planting a church there's nobody there you're gathering these people it's very much from the ground up whereas if you're in a group there's almost a safety of i we already have a group to then propel this vision forward I don't know, I think that's one weakness of being the lone person. Right. For me, it's pride. You know, mm-hmm. it's oh, just yeah. like yeah. <laughs> the draw to pride. Like, that's right. Even, even biblically, when you look at, well, you know, conquest of Joshua, right? It's very much a, a conquest, but then moving forward to David, similar thing where it's David and his mighty men, and he's, he's, it's a conquest. It's, it's action and it's, um, like an army situation sort of thing. But um, his pride gets to him eventually. And I think Mm -hmm. that would be the same thing Mm -hmm. for myself I would worry about. Where, yeah, okay, a book can read. You know, you got to have humility. Everyone can say that to you over and over. But when you're in that position, I would be fearful. Like, Mm -hmm. I would want to set myself up with a panel at that point. Right. So it's like, yes, soul visionary to an extent, but as soon as that thing's up and running and going, I really need people equal to me. Not that, you know what I mean? Like, not that I'm just dictating what happens all the time. I need people to be calling me out and and talking to me as my equal. 
Um, yeah, especially because if it's a church plant and you built it from the ground up, it oh, would be very tough. easy to think, man, I did this. Well, and, and just like, and this is what we're going to do next. Yeah. Because I, I did the first step. I think, I think though something that's interesting is like what you said, where it's like once it's established, then knowing that you need a panel. Mm-hmm. The thing I would worry about is once I've established it, there's no way I'm going to give it up to a panel. Well, that's what I mean. That's right? where pride will yeah. take a hold Which of you. Which is where like... In the book, uh, the John Eldridge book that we read, Walking with God, mm-hmm. where he talks about the organization that he started, mm-hmm. right? He started it with three guys. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just him. And he started it from the ground up. It was the three of them actually had to come and agree on everything. Mm-hmm. So it's like it started that way so it could never even... There was nothing to give up because you never had it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of the Acts model. That's like Acts 4. Um, you know, the heading would be they have everything in common. And so they have a common goal. They have a vision for how to be the initial church of people. Um, but everything they actually possess is in common and they hold it and they share and they share wealth and no one, you know, no one's supposed to be poor and no one's supposed right. to be hungry and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think that's a beautiful model, but I also think you do need leaders. And like you said earlier, it's just like quicker, more effective, easier to yeah. do that on your, as one, one sole visionary but yeah, if you don't, if you're not humble again, you're gonna you're gonna tank it. Yeah, <laughs> I love that you bring up acts because I think first off in this discussion, especially now that we're on the church setting, something that's incredibly important for both versions of leadership and casting vision is that you're really not the ultimate leader, like mm-hmm. God is, mm-hmm. especially yeah. in the context of church. Mm-hmm. And when you go into like craft your vision, like yes, it is your job to cast that vision, but it's not your vision. Right, it's very much the Great Commission, which yeah. honestly goes without saying within this group, but still should be said. And then also, um, just with you talk about Acts four, I was reminded of Acts one when they replace Judas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not Peter going out and being like, "Yo, this is my boy Matthias, right?" And he's going to join us. No, they they decide as a group mm-hmm. that they're going to take Matthias or um, is it Barnabas? Mm-hmm. I think it's Barnabas. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then they cast lots, which that's people, right. I, most people would probably say not the best way to make a decision nowadays, but still like it wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It no, wasn't, no, no, no. Right. It was a still that group decision. Um, and while there were still leaders within those disciples, like they were still very much a group. Mm-hmm. And then with Jesus at the head of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, yeah, I guess that's the point is that we have an ultimate truth. So even in a panel, you come to a discussion, you're, we're saying everyone needs to be prepared. It's like, yes, and everyone needs to be backed by Scripture and right. backed Always. by God. Right. Always. And that's how we do it. It's like whatever vision, mission, goals, values, we back it up, right? Because we have that to back it up by. Okay. Um, and if a leader was actually walking in a godly, you know, I don't have a problem with a soul visionary. The, yeah. It's not, but they then in a church setting have to be backed by Scripture, mm-hmm. which would keep them humble. Right, you would mm-hmm. hope and keep them accountable and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think of Paul, and every time he started a letter, yeah, it wasn't Paul the Great; it was Paul the <laughs> servant of yeah. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, no right? Every yeah, time, introduction right. that I am also under someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that is really uh, the proof of humble leadership to then allow Paul to say things like, "Follow me as I follow Christ." No kidding. So mm-hmm. it kind of puts in perspective. Oh, and and he's not at the end of the day living in some kingdom palace yeah right he's in chains yeah right that's the example of christ too that we all follow in which is 
very hard to apply mm-hmm. in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. To think about like moving forward in missions or in, in yeah. ministry and that kind of stuff. It's like, what actually should you, should your life look like if you're going to be the leader mm-hmm. in that situation, right? And the example of Jesus is a hard calling to follow. Yeah. But no kidding. I think another thing you can miss with the soul leader uh, determining vision and direction is um, in one of the books I read for school when I was doing business before this. It was like, how do you establish change? And one of the best ways to make people actually open to changing is to make someone think it's their idea. <laughs> so they actually have to own the change. Mm-hmm. Right? And so with vision, when you're casting vision, if no one buys into your vision, then it doesn't matter. Right? You actually have to have people who are buying into your vision. Otherwise, your vision is meaningless. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what one person thinks. And I think when you're one person establishing that vision and you're not being collaborative about it, you run the risk of presenting this vision to your organization or your church or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and no one buys into it because they have no skin in the game. They didn't actually invest right, in it. Right. So I think that's another, like, probably point. more like organizational, tangible application mm-hmm. Uh, than maybe more than in a church con- um, uh, situation, but I think it still applies. I think Definitely that's does. a great segue to uh, the last part of this, where like, how do we implement this practically in like our ministry contexts or just a ministry context? Right. So, um, getting people to buy in and understanding the greater vision of things. I mean, I think of my role at Coquitlam with guest services, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you can get somebody to do transformation and set everything up in a movie theater and then you can get somebody to, well, not shake hands anymore, but greet people <laughs> as they come in the doors, right? Yeah. But it's a whole other thing to get them to believe in the why that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we do is we teach the You Make It Happen course mm-hmm. and that's all about the why and casting vision and getting people bought in. Mm-hmm. So the transformation team isn't just setting up a sign. You are... Uh, setting up something for people to feel safe. Mm-hmm. You're clearing distraction out of the way. And then with a greeter standing at the door, for that first time newcomer that comes into the church, the first thing they see is a smiling face that's going to set them at ease and be like, this is a safe place, mm-hmm. right? And you'll hear a welcome. Then you walk and you see security. And that security is bringing a level of safety. And then you're, you're unsure. You're walking around the corner. There's the coffee team. And the coffee team is not only giving you something warm to put in your hands, but they're welcoming you, they're assuring you that everything's going to be okay, and they're guiding you to where you need to go. And each team fulfills a very specific purpose. You're not just serving coffee. You're, as Carl Lentz once said, you're a bean revivalist, Mm. which I think is hilarious. But uh, nonetheless, like you're sharing the gospel with these people. The the smallest thing you do for Christ, or the smallest thing you do, you do for Christ, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just the reality that if you get people bought in... um, it, it, people are going to live out this vision of I'm bringing people to Christ through my actions. Right, this matters. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, what about you guys? Practical implementation into your own kind of context. What does that look like? Yeah, I think um, I think like most podcasts that I've done, it kind of um, brings it back to being on, a little bit on the spectrum where you need both things, and so yeah, you need you need a leader. Um, a visionary to mm-hmm. set a vision and then you need a team to really propel it to continue it mm-hmm. right to have that professional perpetual motion um, like Jesus did Jesus came down and um, he cast a vision and he um, 
left his example and then he called on the disciples and the disciples after he was gone continued and so that kind of represents what we we're talking about the soul leader after they're gone the organization doesn't fall apart because now the vision is um, bought in by the organization they can continue pushing the vision yeah. forward right yeah yeah and so you need a little bit of both you need you need a, a single leader to really start that perpetual motion like i was talking about earlier that um, that kinetic toy that sits on executive's <laughs> desk with the chrome balls and you That's pull right. one and then yeah. it pushes the other ones and it keeps going but right. you need that initial um that initial help to get <clears throat> those chrome balls to do their kinetic um laws of physics thing that they do mm -hmm. And so you, you, you need a little bit of both. So um, I think that's where the humility comes and wisdom comes in and discernment where it's like you know you can't do it all on your own. Um, even though you have a leader up there, you know that there's a team backing you up, mm -hmm. um, keeping you in check. And, uh, and so you need a little bit of both. Hmm. Yeah, personally, I mean, on a micro scale, I see <clears throat> like as, as a leader, you want to cast vision um, be a visionary, you know, but, but like in ministry context, what I desire to see the most is to build teams that, that hold my vision, whatever I'm doing. Let's say if I'm a visionary for that particular thing, mm -hmm. hold it and, and do it. But then in a macro or in a micro scale, I want each of those individuals to, to be growing in their own visions and you want to be raising them up as visionaries constantly, mm -hmm. right? Like the goal is that each of us then gets our vision from God mm -hmm. to do what he made us uniquely to do, you know, and, and go about that. So it's like your vision within vision within vision and each of us carry our own vision that is our life essentially. And that's our goal and our, you know, what we want to fulfill for God in our lifetime. So like in, in leading, in church ministry and all this stuff, yes, I want to be a visionary and I want to fulfill that, but I also want to perpetuate that so that each person feels equipped and validated and able to come up and find their own vision in God and go about that and, you know, continue this cycle. Like each of us are doing more and more and more and more and going about doing what God created us to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's great. I think for me, um, in like my ministry context and the role that I'm currently playing and things like that, uh, I think like the role of a leader is really to clearly establish the why you're doing anything that you're doing and constantly re be repeating it. Like, uh, I don't think you can ever under communicate the why behind what you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's inside of an organization or especially inside of a church, keeping that focus on, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. And then something that I've been, um, that I think is really important, and especially in a, uh, in any in any model, but I think it's especially true inside of a church, is learning to lead up. Mm -hmm. Because I think, I like to think of churches as there's not, like, there's not really a human leader, right? Like, we're all, in a sense, following. We're all following God, we're all following Christ's example. So really what we need to get good at is not so much leading, but it's learning to lead up. Mm -hmm. And especially early on in your, you know, church career or, or your, you know, most, peop most people, 90% of people aren't leaders in their organization in the sense that they're the one guy at the top who's directing everything. Most of the time you lead some people and then you follow. And so mm -hmm. learning, you know what I mean? So like learning to lead up when it's like, 
you see a problem, but it's above your pay grade. It's learning to actually lead up into that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's been something that I've been trying to work on and develop inside of myself. Um, a great book that you could read on the topic is uh, by Jocko Willick. Um, it's called Extreme Ownership. I just uh, listened to that book and it was fantastic with that concept in mind. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I say that to say, um, I think when we're discussing leadership and casting vision and especially inside of a church context and inside of um, you know our specific ministry context is really knowing your why what and being sure that you're communicating that to everyone that you know and then also learning to lead up so that you can um, be able to better the organization or the you know thing that you're trying to do even if you're not in the position to actually make those decisions hmm. Leaders, leading up is such an intimidating thought. Like Craig Rochelle has an interesting podcast on it too that I've listened to. And like you really have to have a fear of God over a fear of your boss mm -hmm. in order to mm -hmm. lead up well. Yeah. Um, because if you fear God, then hopefully you will have humble and pure intention when you lead up right. and to do it effectively. It can also be hard because you don't want to just be blunt to be like, hey, boss, what you're doing sucks, right? Like you're, yeah. you're obviously leading up, you're not mm -hmm. uh, criticizing up. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's awesome um, and hard to implement, but important for all of us, yeah. especially with what right. you say, like most people in an organization, you're not leading at the very top and you're leading in the middle somewhere. Especially, I mean, you could almost make a case like, especially inside of Christian church context, mm. you're never the leader. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a great distinction. Oh yeah. So like in, in an organization, corporate world, Okay, yeah, you might be the leader, but yeah. inside of the church, you're never really the leader. No. Mm -hmm. You're always following, and you're. And I think something that Luke brought up, that you're touching on, is like the role of the church's discipleship. Right, we're called mm -hmm. to make disciples. Yeah. Discipleship is growing, having people grow in their relationship with That's God, right. and so it's holding on to everyone who's in your organization, everyone who's serving on your volunteer teams, that they're not actually there to you're. You don't have them as part of the team to accomplish your goal and mission. Right. Your goal and mission is to lead them into what God's goal and mission is for that's their right. life, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And that's like that Sky Jathani book mm -hmm. that we read, Immeasurable, yeah. uh, yeah. where he was talking about, he was basically critiquing this idea of volunteer teams that we often have in the church, where we have volunteers come in, in to fill a need instead of interviewing, getting to know the volunteers and seeing what God's is calling them to do that's right right and serve yeah and serve the way god's calling them to not the way we want them to. yeah mm -hmm. and so no you know not to say that that can't happen in a big church just to say that like it's something that we have to be aware of that mm -hmm. what our role is what we're leading people to isn't necessarily following our vision it's following god's vision for their life hmm. that's great yeah um well, I think, I think we've done a good job of wrapping all this up for the most part. Are there any last points that anybody want to throw in? No? No, it was a great discussion. Yeah. yeah. Great Thanks discussion. for hosting us. Thanks for hosting yeah, us. Yeah, no problem. I, I'd like to wrap it up then with an Andy Stanley quote, if I may, um, from his book, Making Vision Stick, uh, just for us to take away uh, and live it out practically. Uh, he says this, it is the leader's responsibility to ensure that people understand and embrace the vision of the organization. 
We are all tempted at times to blame the people around us for their inability to understand and act on the vision we have cast. But when a leader blames the follower for not following, the leader has ceased to lead. If the followers don't get it, we probably haven't delivered the vision in a way that makes it gettable. We are responsible for keeping the vision of our organization at the forefront. So whether we fall in it's best for a leader to be the sole visionary or best for the leader to be part of the team creating that vision, I think no matter what, it still is summed up well by Andy Stanley that Mm -hmm. we have to take responsibility for both leading up, as Ben was saying, for living out the gospel, for casting that vision and for coming alongside and taking care of those that are following our lead. Um, And so I think that's just something practical uh, to step away with from this as well as everything else that was discussed but with that thank you so much for listening everybody uh and like and subscribe (laughs) all right see ya